0: Welcome to the Intelligent Investing Podcast, where modern portfolio theory can suck it. A student of the School of Graham and Doddsville, and a clergy member of the Church of Warren Buffett, here's your host, Eric Schlein. Hi, this is Eric Schlein. You are listening to the Intelligent Investing Podcast, where I discuss value investing, rational analysis, and break down the processes, principles, and mental models of business owners and managers. Today, we have on a very interesting guy, uh, Andrew Sather, who is the co host of Investing for Beginners, which is an absolutely wonderful podcast. And uh, Andrew, welcome to the show.
1: Yeah, I'm happy to be on. Our last conversation was quite interesting and very engaging. So hopefully, we can. Somewhat make it as much as that.
0: I have no doubt we will. So, you have a great show, and uh, why don't you share for the listeners just a little bit background on you and, and what you do and who you are? Sure. So, my name is Andrew Sather.
1: Uh, like you mentioned, we have a podcast we started. Basically, I never really had a formal training with investing, I just kind of stumbled upon it. I have an engineering background, and that's what I went to school for. So, I've always been really in tune with numbers, and that's what really caught my attention. So I had just happened to stumble on the concept of investing when I was in my job. I had a mentor, he got a flashy new Corvette and I was like, "How did you do that?" And he told me he was uh he sold some stocks to do it and I was like, "Okay, you know, as an engineer, I, I didn't think uh, another engineer could do that." I was kind of drawn in by that and then once I picked up The Intelligent Investor by Benjamin Graham, everything just like clicked immediately and I just completely went down the rabbit hole. The only thing I was kind of frustrated about was that there was no, at that time, there were no really like good guides and good step-by-steps. And so we tried to do that. Um, We get pretty into the weeds in our podcast, but we also try to bring it back for beginner listeners and really try to talk in words that people can understand. Uh, Obviously, there's a lot to learn when it comes to investing, but just really today, just trying to find companies with a margin of safety, emphasis on the safety, Um, looking for companies that have good free cash flows, not to say that it needs to be a perfect track record, but there should be something there in the company's history that gives you reason to believe that they can continue that into the future and really just buying at a good price relative to that. And I mean, that's a struggle with every month that passes. We're recording in 2021. It's becoming an increasing struggle um, but it's a lot of fun. you know. I love d- digging into the 10Ks and, and learning about all these sorts of businesses and trying to find the best ones. So that's kind of what I do.
0: So why don't we talk about one or two of those businesses that might seem
1: interesting right now to you? Sure. So I have quite a bit of them that uh, I recommended last year to subscribers. I'm looking at them not as priced at a discount today to their intrinsic value. These are the type of companies that like, I'll be looking at Maybe to add on a pullback or something like that, because I've paid subscribers, I don't want to give up all of the picks that that I charge for. But I think uh, some of these companies can make for good lessons as far as finding good businesses, not just today, but 5, 10, 20 years down the line. So I really like the concept of Warren Buffett's cash cows. And I think the perfect example of that is, well, there's two. So there's Dairy Queen and there's Seize Candies. He's talked about these businesses quite a bit. But if we look at Dairy Queen as an example, it's not necessarily the best ice cream in the world, not necessarily the most popular fast food place. You're not going to find it on every street corner like you would a Starbucks. But it's very easy to keep the business open and let the free cash flows come in. And the company doesn't have to do much other than give those free cash flows to Berkshire, and Buffett's going to figure out what to do with that. And so I think, particularly when you have a market that's very frothy, all of the great growth names are probably going to be picked up already. I know when we talked just a couple of days ago, you talked about having Facebook and Amazon, and I'm super jealous of, of that idea. But at the same time, it's tough to justify looking at those companies today, whether it's those companies or other great businesses. And so if you can look for companies that can be more like cash cows, they don't necessarily need to grow 20, 25% every single year, but if they can give you consistent, basically value for the money that you put to work, and it's something that's attractive enough to you, the key part of that is that they're returning cash to the shareholders. So one of my favorite ways, I love dividends, but one of my favorite ways that companies are doing that now is with stock buybacks. And we can go super deep into that if if you'd like. But so like, let's go back to the the Dairy Queen then. Um, You know, if we're investing in a public corporation, we're not necessarily going to be able to get those free cash flows like Buffett would. But when the company can take that free cash flow and put it back in the share buybacks, particularly when the companies value a good price, then, you know, we can um, see growth in earnings per share, free cash flow per share. And if they do it in the right way where they're returning a good return on your invested capital, then that's very beneficial. And you'll see that in the stock price over time. And, you know, with buybacks, I think a company needs to do it, but they need to do it in a very smart way. Mm-hmm. And so if their share price is is high compared to their intrinsic value, it's not really a good purchase. And I think, you know, one of the things that Wall Street doesn't really like is when cash sits on the balance sheet. And that's very true especially in the past several years. And so, you know, it makes all the the good metrics go down, return on equity, return on invested capital, that stuff goes down when cash sits idle on the balance sheet. But if a company can kind of think about staying away from Mr. Market and not being influenced by it, maybe the fact that Wall Street doesn't like that makes the stock price go down. and And then that's when you kind of pounce and buy back the shares at that point. Not to say that you can find, you can like control and find these companies that will do that all the time, but that's a good example of if you can find evidence that shows that company will be prudent with your with your free cash flows as a shareholder, those are very, very attractive types of businesses. And so I have several in particular that I've picked up over the past several months. Mm-hmm. One that I really like is a company called EA okay. in the video game industry. Like uh, EA Sports about- and
0: all yeah, the- yeah, electronic Yeah, exactly. Cards. Okay.
1: I see the parallels with them and Dairy Queen in the sense that very anecdotally, I have a eight-year-old daughter and I don't know if you've seen like the commercials for all the new 5G phones where they yeah, have like have... these kids that are just like this and they're playing their games while they're texting other people
0: Yeah,
1: and and they're on like their video calls. Like that is so accurate to how the next generation is is really playing and interacting. And so what I see with her, I mean, she's not playing like games by EA Sports or anything, but- right. She might play Minecraft on the console, and she might play the other mobile games like uh, Among Us or something like that. While she's doing that, she's on Facetime with her friends, like the whole time. They're just chatting while they're playing. And they're playing together. While so, chatting. okay. Yeah, exactly. Okay. And and it's something like I don't know how old you are. Um, I'm in my early thirties. Yeah. Okay. So yeah, similar generation. I mean, when we wanted to socialize while we gamed, it was just you know, you pass over. The controller over. Yeah, it,
0: exactly. Right?
1: Yeah. So it, it's a very different world. And I think back then also there weren't as many kids playing games as there are now. So That's against that backdrop.
0: Yeah, you, you have you yeah, have, I know any, I didn't know any, uh, like eight year old girls playing games back on. So. <laughs> right?
1: Yeah, exactly. It's just a different world. There, there's more of a technology adoption that is, is much quicker. Okay. So with that, you have a, a very nice secular tailwind as a backdrop that already that's already nice you, you want to be a part of that if you can get in a company and pay a decent price just off that, that that's going to be a good place to start
0: and what's the valuation look like today
1: so i i think i paid somewhere in the high teens uh price to free cash flow just as a general okay. range and they're up something like 20 25% since so you know something i might i might be looking at in the pullback mm-hmm. but how i see parallels with them and Dairy queen is The big blockbuster games right now are like Call of Duty. Take-Two is is another competitor. They've made big blockbuster games like Grand Theft Auto. So there are really these games that kind of take the attention and and they're the the big headliners. We could think of that in the burger world as like, you know, a Chipotle or a Chick-fil-A. And then we have Dairy Queen over here, which is doing just fine. And what makes EA such a kind of cash cow is the fact that They have these sports franchises like FIFA, which is soccer and Mm -hmm. Madden, which is football. And if you've ever played either of these games, you know, I love
0: Madden. Do you? Yeah, me
1: too. I call it Madden. I mean, like when I think of Madden, I think of when I play Madden and I just get extremely mad every time I had to stop playing. I haven't played in years. I have like holes in the wall and everything. To Oh, my God.
0: To really test for how, it's, it's, it's a fun now with all the running quarterbacks you know like Mahomes okay and the, Patrick Mahomes yeah, and, and all these great quarterbacks now they're so fun to play with I'm
1: sure you say fun when you're not
0: playing against them because they are
1: yeah, yeah, frustrating yeah. To play It's like when them. you're
0: when you're being one of them it's, it's a lot of fun
1: because <laughs> right. back and when I was know, a kid it was like
0: Michael Vick and that was it
1: so. exactly and I'm sure he has made me punch a hole in my wall because it's very hard to defend when a guy yeah, is like totally. five times faster than the other players on, on the screen. And you know, as a Madden player, there's no alternative to Madden. Like there, it's not even close. Like, if, if you want a realistic experience with Madden, yeah. you're gonna pick a Madden and that's yeah. it. Yeah. And so they have they can refresh Madden, they can refresh FIFA with very little capex, very little engineering spend, and it's just churning out cash flow. And FIFA takes actually produces a big portion of that for the company. And it's way more than all of the other kind of stakes in the fire that they have, which are nice to have, you know, the Sims, some of the Star Wars games, but these are really their cash cow businesses within this cash cow investment. And so they just started paying a dividend. They're doing share buybacks. They're looking at strategic acquisitions. And so if you can find businesses like that, that might not get all of the attention of an Activision with Call of Duty or a Take-Two with. Grand Theft Auto, yeah. um, that can be a way to find companies still trading with a margin of safety emphasis on the safety, you train up that discount to their intrinsic value without necessarily having to pay a premium price for it. And you, know, you might not get the same growth as a blockbuster kind of game that takes over the whole world like a Fortnite, but you know, you're going to make great returns on that, assuming the company can continue to show you that, hey, in the past, they've been good allocating capital. They're going to continue to do that moving forward and i just
0: love businesses like that yeah what kind of growth have uh have they shown over the years you know when, when you include the buybacks and the dividends
1: it's somewhere in the high single digits okay and so again it's not going to command that higher multiple sure but it's enough where you're going to compound your capital and if you get good compounding from the buybacks and the dividend reinvestment and you hold it over a very long time period. I mean, the the stock went, I wish I got into it five years ago, obviously, it's like six, five or six X, but that's not to
0: say just because it's gotten so high now that it can't continue to compound at a superior rate for a long time. And then we were talking earlier before we started about turning this idea of turning over rocks. Can you go a little bit more into that? Sure. There's lots of aspects of that. Obviously,
1: Peter Lynch, his book was the first I read and I, I love getting inspiration from Peter Lynch he wrote beating the street and went up on wall street and that was his idea was you know i'm going to flip over a thousand rocks maybe i'll find five of them and those are going to be the five businesses that can do really well yeah so for me i mean obviously i'm i'm trying to go through 10ks as much as i can learn about industries and you try to find these these little gems one that i found last year which i think you know maybe it's obvious maybe it's not but maybe i think it it provides a good example of how you can Different ways you can flip over rocks. Okay. So another thing I'm very bullish on, as far as the next two to three years at least, is this idea of residential real estate picking up. Like extremely controversial. Not like controversial, like people are gonna get mad, but like controversial, like in the sense, what are you thinking, kind of thing. Like yeah. Have you been paying attention the last ten years? But if you look at the at the numbers, as far as what the government has with personal balance sheets, and people have stronger personal balance sheets than they ever have. Disposable income is very high. And then you have millennials and that's a demographic that's just shifting into this first home buyer range. And, and you know they're a little bit later than previous generations as far as home formations and everything like that. But they're still in that range where, where you, you are likely to see a lot of first time home buyers and, and that kind of cascades through the, the whole residential real estate industry. Obviously, with everything that happened last year, huge booms, but it seems like the narrative is that was just specific to the pandemic and it's not really going to continue after that. I disagree. And so I find that plus some other reasons why I'm I'm very bullish on that theme. If you find something, I think like as a value investor, I mean, you're called the Intelligent Investing Podcast, so I'm assuming you talk a lot of times about buying with a discount in terms of value. Is that fair? Absolutely. Yeah. Okay. So it's a fantastic philosophy and I subscribe to hundred percent, but there's a lot of danger in that because a lot of times there are reasons why these companies are beat up. Mm-hmm. And so you do have to turn over a lot of rocks to find something that's beat up and still a good value. Right. And so something I like about going into like flipping rocks in, in these very beat up industries is that though, obviously I love doing it. I love to fall in love with the numbers. I have to understand what's the narrative. Why are these stocks this cheap? And so if you can conquer that, then you have a much better chance of understanding why the valuation is there. And then you have a counter argument to this is why I think the free cash flows will be better than what is being priced into the market now.
0: And so are, that's are, an you willing, example. are you willing to share one or two companies in this theme residential real estate that you think could be a good good investment?
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Definitely. Okay. So let's talk about Griffin GF. This is another one. They're up like 15%. And so something to kind of look at if there's another pullback. But basically what they do is they do two main things. It's garage doors and they do gardening equipment. Okay. And so last year during the pandemic, people were going crazy. I don't know if you ever drove by like a Lowe's or a Home Depot. Of course. Yeah. (laughs) And it was was like going to Disneyland. I know. Wild. Every single time I was like, how come I don't have stock in either of those companies? Very frustrating. So, you know, I think the narrative between behind why so many people were there is because there's nothing else to do, which I think there's a lot of truth to that. But also the residential real estate market at that time was just on fire and people were putting up homes and they were being sold really, really quickly. And so what happens when people move up in home or move down in home, they'll do a lot of remodeling and, and they'll try to really upgrade that value of their house. So that that works well for garage doors and also works well for gardening just in general. And then, you move across the country and you need brand new lawnmower, brand new shovel, brand new all of that, um, you're going to need a bunch of tools. And so this is a company where the narrative says, hey, uh, this was kind of a one-time thing. The demographics and, and a lot of the other statistics kind of show, well, maybe this is something that's more long-term. And so a company like Griffin, as an example, and why I think it shows why digging deeper is, is a good idea. And-, and way you can do it and i guess it's a good metaphor because they do sell a lot of shovels yeah so if we we try to dig (laughs) deeper they have good free cash flows that's pretty obvious when you look into the numbers Mm -hmm. something that creates pause and and makes you think maybe it's not a company i normally want to buy is that their net debt EBITDA was was a bit high like higher than i feel comfortable with because i talk about marginal safety emphasis on the safety Mm -hmm. so for me i like low leverage and they had a lot of it and the interest expense is not insignificant it, it so was it's there. a real expense okay yeah it was something that it kind of was looming in in the 10k where you're like oh this i don't really like the, the look of this but then a, a couple months before i got into the company um they just refinanced taking advantage of all these super low interest rates and now they don't have any principal payments until 2028. And so on top of the fact that it was trading pretty cheap, it's got these great tailwinds. It's got a good track record of growth. And, you know, there is some transition going on with some other business segments, but it seems like there's just a lot of good things going for it. And that idea of looking at things like debt covenants, which are super buried down in deep into the 10K and looking at something like a refinance that they just did, looking at bond, new bond issuances, all that kind of stuff. You can find different gems that just look a lot more attractive when you, when you look at what the reality is versus what, the, what a number might show on a, on a website with they're more highly leveraged or they're more, they have this much debt, blah, 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 blah. That's kind of an example I thought that I really liked of digging
0: under, finding some rocks and, and finding value in that. Very interesting. And then I wanted to ask you about having a hedge for the US dollar. Can you say a little bit more about that?
1: yeah sure i mean i'm no currency expert and Mm -hmm. i am like unabashedly pro-american with my subscribers and with my own personal finances it's like 100 percent u.s stocks i'm very bullish about america itself all of the prosperity that's been built up to now and all of it that's the potential for the future at the same time though you know you want to look at your portfolio and see do i have an overexposure to the u.s dollar or some other currency Something that kind of blew me away when I looked at the top 15 or so companies in the S&P 500. It's not necessarily a big percentage of the S&P, but because it's market cap weighted, we're talking about something like 30% of the index. Yeah, I was shocked. It was like 55% of the revenue was based out of the U.S. The rest was international in that range. So if you have a lot of these U.S. only revenues that are coming in for your portfolio, you could be you could be in for a world of trouble if the U.S. dollar declines just as one example. So I don't believe necessarily in hedging super, super hard as far as like real assets that don't produce income. I'm I'm very also unabashedly pro dividend and getting an income stream from your investments. But I think you can think outside the box a little bit when you start to try to find ways to reduce exposure to currency. One way, which not to say it's like a perfect way, but something that got me down the path was I was looking at Different companies that would still see their revenues do quite well, even if the U.S. dollar did not do well. So one was like a company called Martin Marietta Materials, MLM, by far one of the better investments I picked for last year. And basically what they do is they're a mining company and they go down into these rock quarries and they get stone and gravel and the stuff to make asphalt. Mm -hmm. And they do that in some of the, the big parts of the us where we're seeing these these uh huge inflows of people so like over by texas over by florida um down the south you know kind of going that way and so what makes that particular commodity very interesting versus some of the other ones is that because it's so heavy it's very hard to transport we can't have china as a competitor come in and start to import at least at how expensive transport is now and how heavy this material is and so it's very localized and so that gives a, a very good competitive advantage and a very high barrier to entry hmm. and you combine that with the fact that this company in particular had a recent acquisition and almost right away the roi on this acquisition was pretty good the length of time that you get cash flows from these mines once you start them is is very long so you have these long reserves i think their latest one or it might be for the whole company. It was several months ago, but it's something like 125 years worth of reserves from wow. a couple of mines. And you look at a chart, a price chart of the price of crushed sand and gravel, and it's just like this. It's like the stock market. Oh,
0: you know, right. you
1: look at any other commodity and they're, they're very cyclical. Right. But this one, for whatever reason, and it is similar to Bitcoin. I don't, I'm not going to discuss Bitcoin. Don't even ask. Okay. But similar to Bitcoin, there's a limited supply of this stuff, and so it's easy to envision an environment where it just continues to go like that.
0: It's a very interesting
1: one of those like S and P companies that I was never aware of until I was like, why don't I look at some something that's different, right? Turn over some more rocks, and you know, mining kind of in general is like gold miners. I think when people think of mining companies, they think of gold miners, and that's a tough business to get into because you have reserves on your balance sheet, and once you sell those reserves off, you're like shrinking the balance sheet to increase
0: earnings, and it's you know. I think it's, mining it's, companies it's, in general tend to get a bad rap too. Yeah, they're very for good capital, reason for good reason. Very capital intensive, yeah, and not very really capital high intensive. Returns. I think management tends to look at uh, not tends to not be the best capital allocators. A lot of very sleazy. Oh, and, 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 and,
1: and especially it reminds me of like the oil EMP. Totally. You know, it's a crazy and people have gotten burned so much, but you have a couple of companies in the S&P that are pretty reputable and, and pretty big. And, and they have this nice niche of this industry that has a lot of things going for it outside of all the numbers that, that make it attractive too. And so, you know, that's, that's another one of those where if there was a significant pullback, cause I think that one's up like 50% <laughs> in the past year. So I don't know if I'd consider it cheap today, but it was cheap when I got in cheap enough for me and it's it's one of those where you look okay if the us dollar does lose its value hard assets tend to make up for some of that yeah. and so the fact that this is a limited quantity and the price has displayed that i think it's a way to be creative to still be a us investor but also still have some balance and diversification against some of the other exposures i have to the us dollar and I'm thinking if I found a situation like this, there's probably plenty of other businesses where you can find similar things to help balance the portfolio. And so you don't have to necessarily stress, not to say that it doesn't bother me when I see Bitcoin cross 10,000 then 20,000 then 25,000, but you know, you feel a little bit better about your ridiculous, ridiculously responsible all stocks portfolio when you know that you have some things in place
0: that can still do well, even if the U S dollar goes, goes to crap. Yeah. And I think there's also just that uh, FOMO mentality, right? And Mm. there's so many publicly traded assets. There's always going to be something that has a ridiculous return and it's going to be easy to say, well, I could have invested in this and you will. And then it makes it psychologically worse. I think as you hear stories of people who invested in that asset But you tend to not hear about people talk about the thing they bought that went to zero. So you have this sort of skewed psychological, well, the people around me are making all this money, but you never hear about the places where they lost a ton of money.
1: And it's a different asset every year, isn't it?
0: exactly yeah well it seems like bitcoin it's every year but <laughs> <laughs>
1: uh, just two years i think right 2017 yeah. 2020 maybe 2021
0: i mean it i think the uh if you invested in like 2010 every dollar is a million dollars now for bitcoin oh don't tell me that <laughs> um, i know i know I, just, I
1: still feel bad for the guy who bought a pizza with bitcoin i don't know i
0: have a i have a friend who bought some mustard with bitcoin mustard <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> 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 like a bottle of mustard
1: at least pizza like is pretty pleasurable, right? I mean, right. Mustard, I know, I, don't, I, I don't know, get much pleasure. <laughs> yeah,
0: <laughs> interesting. <laughs> uh, anything else you feel like um, you want to share that we haven't covered that you think I should ask you about?
1: Well, let's see. Lately, I've been big on the whole financial industry. Okay. I find that I take these different rabbit holes in different industries. And so, what do you what do you like about the
0: finance industry right now?
1: So, I started looking at like the publicly traded brokerages like mm-hmm. Charles Schwab, Morgan Stanley just picked up E-Trade, and obviously you can't buy Fidelity investments because they're private. Yeah, But there's a lot of interesting things about the finance industry that I think make it difficult to invest in, particularly right now. And so less of something where I'm kind of excited about, it's more of something where I'm like, there seems to be a lot of value here because prices are so cheap. But there's also a lot of things i see that worry me especially the more i i learn about it mm-hmm. and so i don't think we have time to get into all of it today but if you look at some of the innovation between people are like running their businesses today on like square and paypal there's a lot of business online just transacted through just paypal totally and even like visa and massacre i feel like they're such fantastic businesses or they have this crazy moat and they just grow with the economy because they just take a small little sliver of every transaction. But no matter which kind of asp or sphere of finance you're in, there's all these up and comers that are really disrupting. And then you compound the fact that with all of the rules with Basel and uh, like tier one capital, like these regulations that that financials need to follow, they're all fantastic things. And they, they help keep the industry healthy, we, we learned the hard way how poorly things can almost collapse completely when we don't have these rules in place, but it does create a real limit on how much you can scale as a financial, you can only grow with so many accounts and your book can only get so large compared to how many years you have. And so it's tough because it seems like the businesses that are cheap enough tend to be in decline and, and really being disrupted. While the ones that are good are so expensive that you look at the equity, you look at the return on equity, you look at, you run some tier one capital ratios and you're like, literally they're being growth for, or they being priced for impossible growth yeah, totally. based on what the regulations are of how much capital you can have outside of doing, you know, crazy risky things with derivatives, which is a whole nother beast on its own. You know, How can a company earn this much growth based on how it's priced? So that's something that every month it's something new. And and I hope to try to share that as much as I can, whether it's through the paid newsletter I do or the podcast where we just have free forming conversations like this. Um, You know, I I guess on the podcast, we're a lot more conceptual and and more for beginners, but Mm -hmm. the email list we have, um, I get a lot deeper into it. And we have a lot of blog posts too, where we go super deep into the financials and, and stuff like what we're discussing today.
0: And is the blog available for only subscribers or is that for anyone? The blog's free. Okay. That one is
1: einvestingforbeginners.com. Okay. We are pumping out content like you wouldn't believe right now. It's like one post a day and they're super in depth. You can read that. You can also listen to us on our podcast, Investing for Beginners podcast. And we'll if put you go notice... to in the
0: show notes as well for you guys. Ah, appreciate that. Of course. And um
1: StockMarketPDF.com. if you want to get on the email list sometimes go more deeper into the weeds than we will on the show yeah those are the things that i've really been looking at and i think it's a scary place to be in we're recording this one february of 2021 it's yeah. scary but it's also exciting and so i think it's it's just one of those times where you don't want to have blinders on and you really want to get educated and figure out how can i leverage some of the best education to make good returns in the market totally
0: well andrew it was a pleasure to have you on you're welcome here anytime i
1: appreciate that Eric.
0: thank of you of course all right well have a, a great rest of your day and for listeners who want to get in touch with andrew and hear some of his stuff well we're going to put all that in the show notes for you guys all right have a good one